Hi, everyone. I'm JJ Hornblass, and welcome to The Buzz from Bank Automation News, where we chart the future of banking technology and automation. Uh, this is our weekly wrap for what's happening in the industry on May 27, uh, 2021. Before we begin, a thanks to our, our advertisers, MX and CINT for their support. So thank you to them. And I'm pleased to be joined by Myra Thomas, Lorraine Lawson, and Jasprey Kara of the Bank Automation News team. Uh, good to see you all. Uh, first to some general technology news, uh, MSNBC or CFC, CNBC, excuse me, is, is reporting that Swedish payments startup Klarna is close to raising a new round uh, of a, a venture funding at a valuation of approximately 40 billion. And this would be after raising a billion dollars of venture funding at a $31 billion valuation uh, just last March. Savings and investment app Acorns is merging with a SPAC to go public in a deal that would value Acorns at roughly 2.2 billion more than double its last private valuation. And Talos, which lets financial institutions provide digital asset trading services, raised $40 million in the Series A that was led by A16Z, otherwise known as Andreessen Horowitz, and PayPal Ventures, among other uh, investors. To the banking industry, banking automation industry, uh, news. This week, uh, several of the uh, major CEOs uh, or the CEOs of major financial institutions uh, testified in front of uh, a U.S. Senate uh, committee uh, to talk about uh, the banking industry. Uh, there were several points that related to technology, automation, and AI applications. Jasper, could you give us a rundown of what was said during this uh, this Senate hearing. Sure. So we can divide what was said in two distinct buckets. One was the written testimonies that came in from the CEOs right before the hearing started, and then the meat of the hearings themselves. So when it comes to the meat of the hearings themselves, a lot of the tech-related questions focused on cybersecurity, which was the natural lead-up given that the U.S. colonial pipeline hack or the colonial pipeline ransomware attack really played on the minds of the US senators while they were talking to banks and they had very pointed questions on what banks specifically were doing to protect this sort of infrastructure that enables financial activities in the US. When it comes to their written testimonies, most of them made a note of how artificial intelligence can help prevent payments fraud in banking, can help guard against malicious activity and also the fact that Wells Fargo mentioned AI could be useful for furthering financial inclusion sort of demonstrates that the big banks are growing their appetite for leveraging this technology, but at the same time, they want to be very cautious about the ethical implications of it. And Citibank's CEO, Jane Frazier, made a special note of this in her written testimony, noting that Citi was one of the first companies to develop their own ethical AI framework, and we'd have to dig a little deeper into what they mean by the ethical AI framework, but... The overall crux of it seems that AI is going to continue to seep in to the way the financial institutions guard against fraud, 
think about financial inclusion and to an extent also think about how AI powered credit can further those ideas. It, was there a sense that the senators were buying this? The, that these, that the, well, first of all, we should also say first, you know, which, which financial institutions testified uh, before the Senate Bank Committee. I, I just want to make sure we have that clear. So it was Wells Fargo, JP Morgan Chase, Bank of America, Citibank, Goldman Sachs, and Morgan Stanley. Okay. So uh, coming back to the question. So, did, well, first of all, I, I, you know, much of what you're citing was in written testimony. Did the, did the committee raise these issues that was in did they discuss, excuse me, these issues that were raised in the uh, written testimony? The two issues that senators raised specifically were cybersecurity and also how the cryptocurrency space is growing and whether the associated risks could spill, into, uh, spill over into the financial ecosystem. And another point that they made an extreme note of was how cryptocurrencies are enabling some of these ransomware attacks. And a couple of senators also noted that they'd be willing to cooperate further with the banks on how to sort of fight this menace. But that was mm -hmm. an ambiguous part, considering that the banks themselves don't control the flow of these cryptocurrency payments. They usually happen through either exchanges or private sort of decentralized exchanges that aren't really owned by anyone. It's just community operated. So, right. yeah. Go ahead, sorry. So, I mean, yeah. all, I, all I was saying there is that the senators were certainly cautioned and alarmed at what's going on in the cybersecurity space and wanted to engage more. But when it comes to the AI angle, that was sort of not really a big part of the hearings. The hearings largely focused on some of the activist investor interests that have focused on oil and gas investing and investing for ammunition manufacturing companies and whether it's right to have activist investors play a role in that. And another thing that they wanted to focus on and sort of, you know, amusing way as well with Senator Elizabeth Warren calling Jamie Dimon the star of the overdraft show was how even though the government has allowed certain amount of relief and certain amount of overdraft uh, allowances to the banks themselves, many of those allowances have not translated into actual benefits for consumers. So, so Lorraine, Myra, um, do you, when you hear kind of how the, the senators addressed some of the AI automation technology dynamics. I mean, to what degree are they getting to the heart of what we see as, as uh, central issues or even challenges in the market um, versus maybe skirting around the issue? Uh, Myra, do you wanna maybe start there? You know, I think that, <laughs> Officials are notorious for not really understanding automation and technology that, you know, in, inside of businesses, no matter whether it's financial institutions or what have you. So I think much of the challenges that are faced by consumers that they mention, yeah, they're, they're real situations, they're real things to think about, not this is cybersecurity. But I think there are many other challenges that, you know, simply do not come up because there are certain issues that are, you know, much more attractive for publicity's sake. Um, and so there are other challenges to automation that certainly will never come up, you know, at a house meeting, whatever it might be. Lorraine, do you have a... 
Well, I was particularly interested when Jane Frazier said that City had developed one of the first uh, world's first companies to develop our own ethical principles for artificial intelligence. That really stood out to me, um, and I would have, I would like to see more questions about that or know more about that. I've been reporting on ethical AI, and the bottom line is the experts don't know exactly how to create ethical AI. It's very much. Uh, a developing area. So I'd be interested in learning more about that and seeing some more pointed questions along that line. Absolutely. I'm always curious when someone says that they're the first to establish any sort of automation. So I would love to know it too. I mean, I know Lorraine's working on an ethical AI piece right now, which I think is pretty much focused on credit underwriting and sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it would be interesting to know how they can actually document something. Would you even, would any of you even expect them to actually publish that, that guidance? It would be helpful if they would, <laughs> you know, um, you know, because I know I talked to Gartner um, about this and I talked to Queens College and Professor at Emory and they all said this is a very developing area and, um, it's, there isn't even so much best practices as next practices, they called it. Um, so I'd love to hear what they're doing to ensure that the AI is ethical. I think what will happen is, like with any sort of regulation that sort of comes down the pike, it's consistently altered, and then banks will have to play sort of a catch-up game after they're installing and going through, you know, all of these very expensive uh, IT rollouts, then they'll have to find themselves constantly tweaking systems to sort of comply to what the government wants them to do. So you expect, you think that there'll eventually be government guidance on ethical AI, Myra? I think they will eventually. I mean, I don't know what that will, you know, when that'll play out, but I eventually see that happening at some point because, you know, once we get to a situation where there's enough banks employing AI in some sort of way, um, it, it'll come up as far as the government regulation and It's interesting. Joe Biden is actually creating an office of AI, um, sort of a new thing that's happening. So it'll be interesting to see if that also plays a role in, in developing maybe some uh, rules around it. I'm sure regulators will get into this game. We know back the OCC and several or other organizations, the Federal Reserve included, are looking at uh, what they, they issued a request for information to financial institutions and the public to find out more about it. Um, so they're definitely looking in that area. Let's uh, turn our attention to uh, at least one bank that has uh, that is deploying uh, RPA in a more significant way. Um, Myra, give us an update on what's happening at uh, KeyBank, which has uh, about $176 billion of assets. Yeah, I had the pleasure of talking to Dominic Cugini, who's their chief information officer of service digitization <laughs> at KeyBank. And he was pretty forthcoming in how the organization had rolled out RPA um, They've been working with uh, Automation Anywhere, I believe, since 2017. And it was interesting to find out that the, you know, the bank had really much rolled out RPA processes across the organization. Um, so we're talking about commercial credit, um, 
every, every sort of part of the organization that you can think of, frontline, middle, back office. Um, and it was interesting because the, the first thing that I talked to him about, because it's sort of come up many times, is what the return on investment was in, in regards to this rollout. And like many banks, they don't necessarily want to talk about you know, that return on investment. Um, he was very honest and did say that, you know, they had definitely had a, a very, very large return on investment, but that it was not initially as much as they thought it would be. In fact, it was a savings, but not at all what, what it should be for the investment. So they went back, they retooled, they utilized process mining to really look back at what needed to be automated and what did not need to be automated. Um, and were able to improve that return on investment. I think it was interesting because he was also talking a bit about how they're going to be utilizing low code and hiring more people on their uh, development teams in order to facilitate more RPA rollout, as well as looking into low code options. I think they're looking to add some sort of platform in that end shortly. Um, he was also very forthcoming in saying that they were actively hiring. Uh, for those squads. So that was interesting to know. But the one thing that I thought was even more interesting was the fact that, you know, as far as a strategy play is using vendors, um, picking automation anywhere and then picking, you know, their best rival in working with uh, UiPath to basically provide them with the same products. Uh, and so they were playing each one off against the other and deciding, you know, basically what parts of the organization they would use, you know, their automation and what other parts would be used, you know, from the other vendor. Um, so that was interesting to hear. Um, but now they're also looking to add other organizations to provide them with OCR tools. So, you know, like many, many banks today, I guess the best ones are realizing that they have to deal with a variety of vendors. Of course, with the addition of the variety of vendors, then you add in, you know, significant third-party risk. But, you know, at the same time, you know, it's a business use case uh, for an organization like KeyBank. Uh, Myra or Jasper, does this remind you of any other particular financial institutions? Uh, do any others come to mind that compare to uh, KeyBank? I mean, generally speaking, no, go ahead, Jasper. If we're talking about the sort of lowering in return of investment expectations. Yeah, that's been the case with multiple institutions. And that's what we've been hearing from analysts as well, that when the products first rolled out, everyone got really excited. But when they realized that these products also need to be managed and governed, that brings an element of cost that sort of cuts in and reduces the amount of savings that you know they can generate. Yeah, I think that's why process mining has gotten very successful because they're actually sitting out thinking about you know, what tasks are we doing and what, whether or not we need to automate them in the first place. Um, you know, he said that they had really, really, you know, sort of shot the moon as far as trying to think about what they were going to actually save. And then when it came back that first year, I think they rolled out in 2017, you know, the number was way smaller. Than <laughs> but he wouldn't give a number. That was interesting. <laughs> no, I actually also spoke with KeyBank coincidentally, uh, Michael Reynolds from their technology department. And he actually was able to put some number around their PPP bots. They deployed nine bots for PPP. And of those, they ended up keeping four to use in other loan origination areas. And they said, he said the four bots together saved them about three and a half or three, 
full-time and one part-time employee in hours uh, each year. So they did have some successes, although maybe not what they were hoping for. Yeah, I think the big thing with them, he did mention PPP as well, um, but also they've seen a you know extraordinary increase in mortgages and they've not been able to keep up with hiring. So they've deployed a considerable amount of RPA on that end and have been very successful at dealing with the, you know, the additional mortgages that they've been adding in. Uh, so that's been successful for them. So I think that they, you know, have gotten buy-in from the C-suite as far as what automation they're going to add. And it seems like it's, you know, quite, quite substantial. So speaking of value, uh, we had, um, we shared some uh, tips or best practices for extracting value from bots. Rain, give us the, the five greatest hits okay. for uh, best practices for extracting value from bots. Okay, so the first probably won't be surprising if you've ever been involved with an IT project. It's find a high-level executive sponsor. And Amit Kumar, who works with UiPath, he's the vice president of financial services for our PA provider UiPath. He said, you know, that he saw in the earnings reports over the last year that CFOs and CIOs and um, CEOs, all the, all the CXOs were mentioning automation. And he said and three or four years ago, well, that wasn't the case. And we saw that ourselves in some of our reporting and earnings reports. Um, so he said 100% of all the managers that have high use automation have either the CEO or the CFO as a champion. Now, a corollary to that is that you should focus on business problems and use business KPIs. Um, that's where successful companies see the, the greatest returns. So, you know, just because you have a bot doesn't mean you're now looking for all the places you can use a bot. You want to focus on your problem areas. The other, and we talked about this before, uh, Myra mentioned it earlier, is defining your processes through process discovery or process mining. Um, basically the, the act of looking very carefully at what you're actually doing and then what you want to be doing. Another sort of surprising best practice, although I guess really not as surprising if you stop to think about it, but is to involve employees in the automation. You know, there's this sort of um, urban legend that automation fills jobs, but the more successful companies actually involve their employees in the automation and put the automation in the hands of their employees so they can get offload some of these repetitive tasks that are just time wasters for them. Another best practice is to use bot governance. Uh, a lot of people are deploying bots without governing them. So for instance, that creates problems when the bot doesn't work as it should. So suddenly you don't know where the bot stopped, when it stopped, and you don't know how you should restart it. Should you restart it the process over or can you maybe start 10,000 processes in or you know uh, transactions in? And finally, this is my favorite, it's test, test, test before you deploy your bots. And that came from Rajiv Garg, who is an associate professor of information systems and operations management at Emory's University's business school. I asked him for one best practice and he gave me that. And who knew that there were urban legends about bots out there? <laughs> uh, Lorraine, thank you so much. And thank you, uh, Jasper and Myra also as well. Thank you all for, for joining us for this episode of The Buzz. We look forward to seeing you next time. Please visit us at bankautomationnews.com and on Twitter and LinkedIn. Take care.